following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And RebelScum.com. You Rebel Scum. Here they come! This is the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. You fought in the Clone Wars? Information, commentary, and discussion about Star Wars The Clone Wars. This is where the fun begins. In laser clickers! Now, the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Anakin, Rex, Cody, pull back! All troops, pull back! It's the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. I have a bad feeling about this. Begun. The Clone War has. Incoming! All batteries return fire. No, no, no! All right, Citadel Rescue. Wrapping up the Citadel trilogy here on the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Glad to be back with you once again to break it all down. We'll not only tell you what it all means, but what you should think about it, too. This is episode 20 as we wrap up season three. Two more episodes to go. Big two-parter coming up on April 1st. But until then, we're going to talk about Citadel Rescue with our esteemed panel. And first, helping us... My good friend and yours, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. The Citadel trilogy comes to a dramatic conclusion with Citadel Rescue. Now, we were teased prior to this episode by Lucasfilm's Leland Shi via the Twitter when he said this episode would be, quote, shocking. So, by the end, how shocked were we? Let's all find out together tonight on the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. And uh, also helping us out, our dynamic duo. That's what we tell. We, we don't don't take it, uh, you know, to heart, guys. We say that about Curto and Burns too. But our dynamic duo, <laughs> duo of Star Wars publishing, the hosts of uh, the Forcecast's Jedi Journals from RebelScum.com, Jovial J. Shepard. Felicitations, Force fanatics. Welcome, Jay. Always great to have you with us. And of course, you brought your partner in crime, Chris Wyman. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. I feel a little left out as I'm the only one whose name doesn't start with a J this evening. That's, oh my gosh, <laughs> how strange. That's right. But you have the Accident. middle initial. You have the middle initial. What's the middle name, Christopher? James. Christopher James. Yes. All right. James. All right. Good. All right. Middle names. All right. I'm, mine, mine's Scott. Jay, what's your middle Bix- name? Bixby. Oh, Bixby. come on. You know what? There's a part of me that believes that. There's a part of me that believes it. What's your middle name? Seriously. Is it Bixby? Yeah. As in, Bill, you wouldn't right. want to get me angry, Bixby. <laughs> wow. Are, are, okay. I'm just... All right. Jimmy Mack, middle name? <laughs> well, see, you know, I thought his middle name was Jay and his first name was Jovial. <laughs> what's, what's wrong? <laughs> no, no. Actually, no. my middle name my middle name is a family name. It's Barrett. Really? Barrett, and it's a name I share with my uh, my son Dylan Barrett McInerney as well. We got Bixby and Barrett on the show tonight. Amazing! <laughs> <You> betcha. <laughs> Rock on! <All> right. <laughs> Rocking on with Bixby and Barrett. <laughs> this is secrets revealed. Yeah, remember? Talk, yeah, right. You know what? Hey, <laughs> someone's got to do it, guys. All right. So let's talk about uh, Clone Wars season three, episode twenty. The tale of the tape here. This is. Episode 20 of Season 3, the 64th episode in the whole series, if you're keeping score at home, and original air date, March 11th, 2011, written by Matt McNavetz and directed by Stuart Lee. 
Fortune cookie. Without honor, victory is hollow. All right. Now, Jay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Hey, Jason, before we go, before we get into this episode, can I just, I have a correction. I have a correction. You do. Last week on the Clone Wars Roundtable, we uh, were you know, we were going along with the uh, episode guide from StarWars.com, and unfortunately, they had incorrect information about the director of Counterattack. No. And I just want to clarify that the actual director of Counterattack was a good Irish man named Brian Kalen O'Connell. Ah, Brian Kalen O'Connell. Yeah, I just like saying the name. Someday we're going to meet this dude. We're going to meet this dude, and he's going he's gonna to have a problem yeah. with us. Brian Kane he's not O'Connell. Be Irish. Yeah, right. He, he won't be at all. Right. How could he not be with that name? My goodness. My yeah. God. All right. Yeah. But, Jay, I'm going to put you on the spot because what folks don't know that weren't uh, monitoring the, uh, the live show, you seem to have a problem with this episode. You didn't think it was very exciting. What's oh, going on? Oh, yeah, there was nothing going on. No, <laughs> I thought it was a, I thought, it, no, honestly, I thought it was a perfectly great episode. I thought it was, I thought it was really fun. Um, and, uh, it, it's kind of, I guess it's obviously a coincidence that I'm on here, uh, because, uh, of the, all the EU implications that, oh, uh, we're going to get to it. We're uh, going to get to it. Discuss, discuss tonight. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of EU implications there with, uh, surrounding master peel, but one observation I had off the bat and, uh, earlier this week, uh, Jimmy Mack and I had the opportunity to talk to James Arnold Taylor and he was talking about when he was doing the voice work for, uh, Obi-Wan during the Mortis, uh, episodes in particular, his scene that he had to play against, uh, Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn. And he said that he kind of thought back to, the Obi-Wan that we meet in episode one, because he's back with his master and that he would, you know, it's kind of like when you're, you're older and you run into like maybe one of your buddy's parents and they're always going to be, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so or a teacher or something. And you run into that teacher Mm -hmm. after all those years and you feel like that little kid in fifth grade again. So I thought that was a really cool choice that James was talking about. And maybe this is just me. And after last week's bromance, I guess, you know, sometimes I just see these things. Apparently, thank you, message boards. I'm watching. Um, But Matt Lanter seemed to be, to me, making some deliberate choices in his delivery, uh, particularly in the scene where he's talking to Ahsoka about Tarkin, that felt, Jimmy Mack, very much like Hayden Christensen. Did you pick up on that Hmm. at all? I got to admit, I I didn't, uh, Jason. Um, I didn't. It's the but, whole exchange you know, where he's saying, I think we need men like him. You know, he's, he's talking about it. And it reminded me so much. I mean, even down to the, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, rhythm in his, in his delivery of, of Hayden in episode two, even. Well, that's interesting you say that. Um, obviously, they're both playing the same character. And you know that Matt uses Hayden's. Uh, performance as Anakin is something of a reference, but he really has sort of carved his own niche That's as why, the character. Anakin's exactly. Walker. That's why this 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 jumped out at me uh, so much because Matt is very much like the swashbuckling, um, you know, you know, total hero, and doesn't have that kind of angst ridden sort of delivery like like Hayden. Yeah, maybe we might be seeing a shift here as we get closer to the events of Episode Three. Perhaps that might be a conscious effort on uh, Matt's part and on Dave Filoni's part to sort of bridge the gap between 
the heroic Anakin Skywalker of the Clone Wars to the angst-ridden Anakin Skywalker of Revenge of the Sith. Chris, it would seem to me that um, you know maybe this side of Anakin comes out when he starts talking politics. And that's kind of what really it's about, isn't it? I mean, his view of... Uh, his defense of Tarkin to Ahsoka kind of dovetails into his whole, uh, you know, not worldview, but galactic view. Yeah, from the very get-go, I think, of this whole trilogy, we really start to see the politics come out um, with Anakin meeting Tarkin, uh, you know, for the first time. Um, you know, even from just this last episode here, uh, they had two conversations about the politics of war. And, uh, you know, you have Obi-Wan that was standing there for both of those kind of listening in, but I, I definitely feel like uh, Matt Lanter must be taking a tune from, from you know, Hayden Christensen's uh, Attack of the Clones, maybe a little bit into Revenge of the Sith here. I see that. I, I, can, I can feel that. And even the facial gestures are getting to be a lot more similar to what we see in the films. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're getting better with the subtleties. I've noticed that there's a... There's, um there's a, a, a more of a fluidity and uh, yeah. just yeah more ability to play at some of those subtle beats uh, than before. And that's that's probably you know we're seeing that more now because of the uh, the increased uh, ability of the animation that's come since you know season one. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Ahsoka and Tarkin. This is this is interesting, and I I I'll tell you I watched the episode twice. I listened to it. One time, and every time I do this, and most of the time, guys, it happens by accident. I'm usually cramming for a roundtable, and uh, I'm driving home, and there are times where I'm just able to listen to it. But it's, I challenge you guys to do it because it gives you a total different appreciation, and you catch these things that you didn't catch before. And one of the things I caught, Jay, was in this um, when Sobek is talking to Dooku, and Dooku says, look, these trade routes will facilitate, basically, uh, our ability to, to have a sneak attack on Coruscant. That's what's at stake here for these guys. Um, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I go, oh, wait a minute, okay, well, uh, we see in episode three, we see the first attack, presumably here, the first attack on Coruscant. That's why it's so shocking. The war truly comes home uh, to the capital yeah. planet. Um, is this perhaps seeds of Ahsoka's fate finally being definitively planted here? I mean, mm. these are big stakes now. Wow. At the end of this episode, Ahsoka has half of this information. Uh, I'm thinking immediately, wow, that makes her a yeah. very, very important figure now. Now I see. Um, that's really interesting. I hadn't gone that far with it because um, I, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't listened to it like you did. But you know, I watched it a couple times, um, and I saw it as at the end. You know, she had she had uh, Master Peel's half. Tarkin had his half. Tarkin said, you know, well, I'm supposed to report to the Chancellor. And uh, Ahsoka said, well, I promised that I would report directly to the, to the Jedi Council. And Yoda said, well, I'm going to go talk to the, to the Chancellor and see what, you know, we should work out. So my guess is that, you know, she's just going to report uh, to the Jedi Council and, you know, give them the half. So it'll, it'll basically be the Jedi Council having half of it. What I saw with this was the total duplicity of Palpatine. So now these trade routes are going to come back. Palpatine's going to have both parts. He's going to say, 
hey, Count Dooku, you know, here's the trade route or here's the, you know, the hyperspace routes. Um, you know, you come, come and attack, you know, whenever you feel like it. So um, I, I, saw it as, I saw it as part of the end game that he was going for. Yeah, I, Jimmy, you seemed to have a reaction when I threw that out there. Did that is that something that you hadn't thought of either um, about this really being kind of maybe the beginning of the uh, beginning of the end for Ahsoka Tano and why she would become so important and, and and why the Emperor may finally or the Chancellor at this point might have his eyes on her. Well, uh, you know that that is definitely nothing that crossed my mind, and I'm certainly not ruling it out. However, I believe that Ahsoka, being the good young Padawan that she is, will do whatever Master Yoda tells her to do. And the way the episode ended was uh, Yoda revealed that he was going to have a meeting with Palpatine to determine how this information is going to be distributed. Mm. So I don't think that there's going to be any reason for Ahsoka to keep that information to herself. Ultimately, it'll either be passed along to the Jedi Council or to Palpatine himself. As a matter of fact, what I what just to fill in the blanks, I believe that uh, as this episode ended, uh, after it ended, off off camera, off screen. Um, it will be revealed that Ahsoka does reveal this information to the Jedi Council, and then the Jedi Council will share this information with Palpatine, should it be determined that that is the route that they want to take. I, 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 I disagree. I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think I'll, that I'll tell you why it would happen is because the Jedi Council served the Republic, and at this point, you know, Palpatine is still... The man in charge of the Republic. But we know, and, uh, we know so, that by the time you get to Episode Three, there is a there is a significant mistrust there. There is some serious questions about Palpatine. By the time we get to Ep Three, how do we know when that begins? And Peel is very specific in his instructions. She can't even reveal that to Anakin. She has to only reveal that to the Jedi Council, and it certainly perked Yoda's ears up. Um, when Tarkin uh, said, but my instructions are just to give it to the Chancellor only. So there's a big divide here. And I guess what I'm saying is I'm not necessarily claiming that this is, you know, Ahsoka is going to be lured to the dark side here, but I, I think that she now has something that uh, Palpatine wants very, very badly. Very badly. And what's interesting it's- to me, um, uh, Chris, I'll throw this to you. What's interesting to me yeah. is that it's easier. Palpatine must have thought that it was easier to go through all of this to get the um, to get the roots, deta- the, the intel on the on the routes uh, by, via Dooku than it would be just to use his political maneuverings to get them from mm-hmm. the Jedi. Now, doesn't that tell you something? I don't think they're going to well, be sharing that with the Jedi or with the, with with Palpatine. Or he wouldn't have had well, to go through all this. Let's back up here just a second. Where did the Jedi get, where did the Republic get the, the roots to begin with? I don't think we know that. Do we? Do we not know that? I don't think um, we know it. But I don't think they got it from Palpatine. Their last mission. Their last mission. Uh, if that was the case, I don't think, I mean, it would, it would have been pointless for him to even send them on the mission to begin with if he already knew. So I right. don't think it came from Palpatine. No, no. Um, the, the the Jedi are in possession of this. They are in possession of this information. It is so highly prized that Peel 
it creates this this you know pretty radical strategy in sharing half the information with his captain. He has the other half, and you know the the, the they shall never meet. Um, that way, you, you'd have to get you'd have to break both of them in order to get it. And my point is that Palpatine wants this information so badly that his only uh, choice is to go through Dooku rather than use his you know his other role his robes as as chancellor jim you were saying that you think that you know the jedi would just open you know freely give this information to palpatine um if that's the case then why go through all of this well you know what essentially these trade routes they're they're just a plot element which is known to star wars fans and you know it's it's a term that that Hitchcock fans know very well. It's the MacGuffin. It really doesn't have anything to do with the actual... It's, it's completely unimportant to the overall plot. How is it unimportant just, when episode three opens with an attack on Coruscant? How is that unimportant? The bottom line is, is you know, I mean, the MacGuffin in, in Star Wars episode four were the, the, the plans for the Death Star. What I'm saying is that it's not unimportant to the saga or to the mythology of Star Wars, etc. It's just to something to motivate the characters. But we as an audience don't really care about the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is just the object around which the plot revolves. Essentially, the audience, they don't care. The, what, what we care about as an audience watching these episodes is getting our heroes to safety and off of this, out of this, this citadel and off the planet. That's the, the end of the that's the end of it. And whether or not these trade routes have major implications on the Star Wars saga on a whole have little to do with these episodes in general. It's just a plot element to drive the characters from point A to point B. Do you, Jimmy, do you not um, find it interesting or at least uh, are you not curious to know like this Nexus route? This is the first time we've heard of it. Uh, you know, seeing where this goes, if this becomes something more of of uh, importance later down the road and maybe even a tie into the movies? I think it would be cool for it to be referred to again and actually come into play, but we're not seeing it come mm-hmm. into play in such a major force, for lack of a better term, in, in these episodes. Sure. The bottom line, these episodes were just... As 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 viewers, what we care about is getting our heroes to safety, and sure. to concentrate. You know, I mean, the, the Nexus trade routes—they're they're so undefined at this point. Um, you know, I dig speculating on them and all, but I just wanted to throw that out there that I think they're just a MacGuffin as far as a plot device goes. All right, all right. Well, um, okay. I, you know, I thought that there was more significance to it. I still think there's more significance to it. Um, but the end of the episode, which we'll talk about in just a, f- a few moments, um, might lead you to believe otherwise because they just they dropped it, uh, you know, awfully quick, and there's no real indication that they're going to pick it up again. But I'd be remiss if we did not speak to the loss. No, and I love the speculation. The loss of right now, <laughs> even Peel. Everyone, oh, there is now one who's uh, now. <laughs> oh, we lost him too. That's right, we lost him too. But no, even Peel now one with the Force. And you know what else is one with the Force? 
he he's not really dead though. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> <laughs> that ridiculous Coruscant Knights novel is now one with the Force too. Yeah, um, uh. uh, yeah. It oh no, it is the notorious GL taking another one back for uh, for fans everywhere with uh, Peel's death and the definitive story of uh, Jedi Master Even Peel. Although, if you if you Check out some of the, the message boards and some of the stuff. You've got, uh, you got the diehards out there really working hard to retcon this stuff. Jovial J, <laughs> Jovial J, our resident professor Adult here. Mix. Tell us where the disconnect is with what we saw in the Clone Wars and what uh, fans of the expanded universe of novels, uh, it, it, you know, tell us where the disconnect is. Sure. Let me just share this one quick uh, brief paragraph from uh, Coruscant Knights number one, Jedi Twilight. Um, I By think the way, Coruscant Knights page... should be should be yeah. a, a series of novels about Private Eye Lando. Any series called yeah. Coruscant Knights should be about Lando. I'm sorry, Jay. Go ahead. I, 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 no, I love <laughs> I love when you guys were ripping on this series. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, so uh, it's just funny that it comes back into play in such a in such a prominent way now uh, after having been you know lambasted on the force uh, force cast for for several months <laughs> when it first came out. Um, uh, so this is around uh, uh, page twenty five twenty six, um, and now this was published back in June of two thousand eight. So uh, the paragraph is Nick rushed to the Jedi's side. This is uh, even Peel that he's talking about, but saw immediately that there was nothing he could do. It was obvious that Master Peel had massive internal injuries, and judging by the unnatural angles of his limbs, many broken bones as well. And as if things weren't bad enough, from the way his back and pelvis were twisted, Nick figured his spine had probably snapped. Oof. So, it's pretty what, what's interesting is the, the way that Peel dies in Coruscant Nights. Okay, so Coruscant Night takes place about 18... Uh, it takes place, like, right after Revenge of the Sith during Order 66, or, you know, post-Order 66. Um, so as part of Order 66, Peel is gunned down by a squad of stormtroopers. But the way that he dies and the drama that occurs here, this guy finds him, and he's like, oh, my God, this guy's dead. And then Peel, like, kind of rolls over and opens his one good eye and is like, I have some stuff to tell you. <laughs> and, um, you, know, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's like it says he coughed. You know, it reminded Nick of shattering glass. And after a moment, the Jedi continued, now pay attention. And then he reveals some stuff to him. Ah. And, and uh, so it's uh, and, of course, he, you like it. Like I described there, he's he's beaten and broken in the same way that after the Anuba attack in Citadel Rescue. Yeah. Peel's kind of damaged, and then oh my god, he's dead, but Ahsoka brings him over, and he's like, you know, come closer, I have something to tell you, yeah. and then, you know, we don't hear what she says. So the spirit, it's, I find it very interesting that they kept the spirit of the scene intact, but basically they've now killed him off what, two or three years earlier than he supposedly has died, and man, you know, I mean, this is, uh, as far as the EU interactions that the season three has had here. This is probably, I mean, this is, this is pretty big. They, you know, having Greedo show up is okay. You know, there's stuff there and they put, um, Quinlan Voss in, but you know, there's no real, there's no real, um, uh, disconnect between anything right. that the EU has done with him. But this, I mean, there's a guy that doesn't die off for a couple years till after episode three. And all of a sudden, well, we've killed him off beforehand. And Leland Chi pointed out on his Twitter account, cause I, I, 
tweeted him um, as did several other people. If you if you look <laughs> yeah. for him, he's uh, he's Holocron <laughs> Keeper. If you guys don't follow that, and it says um, uh, so. Uh, who is it? A Giants Uber fan one says. Now, can I read this? Holocron- wait, wait, wait. Can I read this, Jay? Because I have to. I have to give. I have to read it in the snide. You know, EU diehard yeah, voice. No, okay. Okay. Right, go ahead. I, yeah. You got a good reason as to why continuity went down the toilet tonight? There you go. There you go. And so Leland responds. He says, I can't speak to the whys, only the hows, as in how we deal with changes like this to the EU. And then he updated his uh, blog over at StarWars.com. And uh, as you said, Uh, poor Leland G. Yeah, they're spinning. They're spinning ideas of how this could happen. It's clone. There's a twin, you know. All sorts of crazy stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. It's it's Evan Peel, not even Peel. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. His brother Evan. <laughs> right. Or even. Where is that coming from? That sounds completely absurd. Who said that? Evan? Even? What? It was oh, just no. one of the theories. I think, right. I think it was it Jason up. that just said. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you know, I mean, they both the same eye and everything. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly, Russian. it's, it's, what sounds Russian, <laughs> one sounds German, you can't figure them out, you know, well, it, it actually should be what? Kevin, Kevin Peel, yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so, leave my hut alone, uh, so what is, um, yeah, all right, so, the, the, the EU is trying to, or folks that are, are fans of this are trying to retcon, uh, what they've known for uh, you know a couple of years since this novel came out to what we're seeing on mm-hmm. the Clone Wars. And, and it's always astounding to me is that they, they, they expect it to go the other way, you know, whereas, you know, George and everybody has been so upfront about this is, okay, look, there's what I do, and then there's this other stuff. And if you can connect the dots, you know, fine, great, you know, more power to you. That's, yeah. that, that's cool. But that's not, you know, that's not the, uh, the bar by which we measure our, our success, um, by how much we can fit into True. into this other stuff, so it, it's what that's what's always got me in this whole argument and in, in, in talking to these folks is that you know that's no secret. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this isn't like hate speech or anything. It's just the truth, right? Has I anyone mean, read this novel? Yeah, it, Has anyone read this? Do- yeah, I, that's a good question. <laughs> no, 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 I'm talking about this. on our panel here. No, of yeah. course not. It's not about it's not okay. about Lando. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering here, though, is if you had read the book and you loved it and this happened and you were very attached to this book and the characters in it, would that maybe have a different effect on you than if you just. Oh, it probably would. Here, here comes Chris Wyman with his logic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not interested in that, Chris. Now, no, of course. Of now, course. let me tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I have not read this book. And. Uh, I, I actually didn't know anything about this particular part of the timeline uh, of Heaven Peel dying in, in this particular book until this episode came out. And so it really doesn't mean much to me. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, but I can, see, I can see some points here of people that are a little upset. Yeah, I mean, I well, can't. It's not like it was a hardcover book. It's a paperback. I mean, come on. It's oh, not... see, there's a triage oh, here. The you, you see, you got to understand, folks. Jovial J is an EU snob. Look, if it's if it's not in a hardcover, <laughs> then it never really happened. Look, it wasn't oh, good enough to be I'm in a sorry, hardcover. I'm quoting Chris J. Wyman here. Um, <laughs> come on, Chris, I'm a hardcover snob. It. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is right. a hardcover snob. Okay, well, let's let's let's. Okay, yeah. we'll get past the fact that. Um, 
the, once again, another uh, EU plot point has been destroyed by the notorious GL, which I love. Um, let's talk about the moment. Let's talk. No, let's talk about the moment. Very dramatic, as we discussed last year or last week, Jim. Uh, there was uh, choral music. So, as Star Wars fans, we all know. Wait a minute, something serious has just happened. Uh, but Ahsoka carrying the lifeless body of Even Peel out of the mist. You know, like I say, the choral music. Uh, amazing stuff. The funeral pyre. Now, here's something I thought was interesting. They wrapped him. They wrapped him yeah. here. The two Jedi funerals yeah. that we've seen, no wrappings. What do you make of the wrappings, Jim? Well, I find it interesting that Master Peel was killed by a creature called an Anuba. Uh, Anuba, which is a play on the Egypt deity, Anubis, hmm. ancient Egyptian god who had the head of a jackal. And this particular Egyptian god was associated with the afterlife and the rite of mummification. So it seems only fitting that an Anuba killed Master Peel, and as he was giving his final resting spot in the lava, he was mummified. I don't know if that was an intentional tie-in or not, but that is the first of two Egyptology references in this episode and in the uh, Citadel trilogy in general. Sobek himself, uh, before we uh, we get back to the death of uh, 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 Evan Peel, Sobek was an Egyptian god largely depicted in art with a crocodile head, and he was associated with powers revolving around the Nile River. So I was wondering if this could be a connection between Hmm. this god, Sobek, and the Citadel Warden, Sobek, and his power revolving around the lava rivers of Lolaseyu. But uh, that's sort of where I, I made the connection between the mummification was the connection to ancient Egyptology and the god Anubis. Wow, that's that's cool. I didn't go there. I mean, I was just thinking that maybe they thought that uh, burning the body was too much for the kids. Or, 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 or from an animation standpoint, it was too difficult to do for whatever reason. Um, but we, we saw it with uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in episode one. That didn't seem to freak anybody out too much. And the funeral pyre that we see with uh, Anakin Vader in uh, Return of the Jedi, there were, there were no wrappings. So. But Jim, that's very, very good. Cool. I, think, I think there's got to be room next to Jovial J. We've got another professor here um, <laughs> in the Force cast. And that's very cool, Jim. That's, you just picked that. Are you a, are you a um, enthusiast? Uh, Yes, about, okay. absolutely. Me and my me and my son are longtime uh, Egyptology enthusiasts. Me and Michael Mack, and uh, we've made several trips to the uh, Chicago's Field Museum to see their incredible ancient Egypt exhibit and look at all the mummies and all that stuff. Uh, I was um, kind of helped down this path. Uh, the Anubis thing was not lost on me and Michael, the 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 god with the head of a jackal, and um, and also. There was some uh, talk about it on our Facebook page hmm. by some uh, rather scholarly Forcecast listeners. And so just the, the talk about that sort of led me down the path to sort of research Anubis a little bit deeper because I knew, you know, the whole society of ancient Egypt is a society that was, they, 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 their whole society was based around death, their whole industry was pretty much focused on death and the afterlife and creating tombs and worshiping the dead, essentially, and, um, you know, providing 
a gateway to the next level of existence. Mm. So I, I kind of followed that path and made the connection between Anubis, death, and mummification. Yeah, I was way behind you because uh, for a while I thought that the Anubas uh, were the same dogs that we see in episode two, the Massifs. I thought they were the same thing, and then I, I realized that, that they weren't. But um, So, Jimmy, that's really cool stuff. That's very, very cool. I, I, I cannot take full credit for, for sort of making that connection. Uh, Joey in Tucson, a faithful Forecast listener who is definitely one who sort of um, – at least he, he led me toward the connection between uh, Sobek the Warden and Sobek the Egyptian God. Um, and then, of course, me and Michael Mack were sort of making the connection between the Anubas and the Anubis. Um, but the, uh, I got to say, the whole mummification connection is something I came up with on my own. If it's, uh, you know, if, if I'm reaching, I'm reaching. But uh, I found the connections between ancient Egypt society and certain little Easter eggs in this episode to be very appealing to me as someone who, who's, who's a big fan of both Star Wars and Egyptology. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the death sequence or the, the, the burial where yeah. they placed him in the lava river also was, um, reminded me of the funeral uh, scene in Fellowship of the Rings um, where ah, they, they right. put the body of, in, the, in the river and he went over the fall. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I thought it was a great I thought it was a great moment to me it was a standout moment on the ser- in this in the series I thought it was mm-hmm. I thought they really dealt with uh, you know the loss of one of their own in a in a really really cool way I mean a lot of characters on the Clone Wars kind of go out like punks you know I mean it's 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 over it's quick um, there's there's not a whole there's not a lot of fanfare but in this case I think it was handled really really well and the fact that they were you know, still on the run, and they took the time to to have this little moment, this little ceremony. Uh, very cool, and in a, in a neat little look into into the Jedi culture, which keeps coming up. You know, in this episode about the ways of the Jedi. Did anybody else wonder uh, if Anakin and Obi Wan actually sensed when he died? Because they seem rather surprised when Ahsoka came walking up. Obi Wan turns and says, hmm. "Oh no." You that's, know what I'm saying? That's it's like a you think really they would have felt point. that. Um, that's a great point. My my answer to that would be that they were a little busy. Uh, yeah. Because they were fending off. Um, weren't they fighting the dogs too at that point? Or were they fighting they the droids? Were... Obi-Wan was fighting the Anubas and uh, Anakin was taking care of some of the staps. Yeah. Yeah. So they were a little bit distracted. But that is it. That is. Um, it's valid. Yeah, it is valid. I mean, would they have. I, I don't know, maybe just only looking up or, or uh, you know, maybe just a facial expression, just a, you know, jump all of a sudden to say, oh, my gosh, we just lost one of our own. But, you know, I don't again, know. I, it's, I think it's I th- quick. Yeah. And Chris, I think it was a little bit more dramatic the other way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 th- I thought that was a really poignant moment when Obi-Wan. Oh, it worked. Yeah, it definitely worked. And, yeah. and James Ronald Taylor delivered the line just really, really well. It gave gave a lot a lot of weight to it. Um. One thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, and Jay, maybe you know the answer to this. Is this the first time that we have heard reference to the Old Republic and the Clone Wars? When uh, Master C.C. Oh, wow. Tin says... Uh, I mean, Tien, yeah. Yeah. I, you know... Um, Can't think of anything. I want to say, th- say there was just a fleeting 
reference to something before. No, Maybe... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're being told on the chat. No, season two Mandalore. Uh, that it was. You know what? They're right. Because uh, Pre Vizsla does say, years ago, you fought with my ancestors, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't he say something yep. about the Old Republic? Uh, yep. Okay. All right. Because, you know, the cynic in me was saying, eh, it's a cool reference, but is this like the marketing guy coming up, you know, the stairs, you know, knocking on the door of Dave Filoni? Like, you know, we got this video game coming yeah. out, and uh, you think you can just, like, <laughs> throw it out there to the kids, you know? Um, you know, of course, you know, I'm a marketing person by you September know, my 19th, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, one hand washing the other there. But uh, uh, th- that stuck out to me. Um, I don't re- – I guess now that they're saying this on the chat, I do recall the line, but um, there was – Jay, was there – did you get a sense that um, – that how would how would how would uh, say say Tin have known that this you know reminded him of battles like in the days of of the old republic? Um, there's oh, well, nobody I'm sure around. It's, I'm I sure mean, it's, it's like with any epic story. You know, I mean, we're being told this epic story of the Clone Wars, but I'm sure that you know Jedi sit around and regale themselves with tales of the Jedi. You know, the uh, tales of yore. Um, mm. You know, the great. Um, you know pick a Jedi master, you know, and, and here's his battle that he fought, you know, in the old yeah. Republic, um, you know, uh, uh, during the sacking of Coruscant or, you know, whatever sure. it is. Um, so what I'm happened sure to adventure own... excitement? A Jedi craves, not these things. What happened to that? Stacey 10. Well, they can sit around and talk about, <laughs> it. you know, they're having some, uh, some calf, right. They're right. sitting around drinking <laughs> some calf in front of a little glow, glow stick. And, uh, <laughs> Telling tales. <laughs> right. But no, the point I, about uh, adventure, right? I mean, uh, Anakin said, that, you know, they're peacekeepers. I mean, he even points out in the episode that they're peacekeepers that, you know, that maybe they should uh, let go of some of their power. Uh, that, you know, they're not the generals in the war that maybe yeah. all these other Jedi are getting all excited about because they feel now all of a sudden they're important. But that's not that. He, obviously, he doesn't think that's their place. Jim? Well, my dad's a big fan of the Civil War and. He certainly wasn't around to remember any of that, at least most of it. And uh, so I kind of make the connection, you know, just because you have knowledge of history and everything doesn't yeah. really necessarily support it or even... No, or we're there. I, yeah, I, I suppose. It just, uh, it just seemed like a, an interesting and kind of random comment. Well, and considering how many battles we've seen thus far, what made that battle more epic in terms of... The historic sense, yeah, you know, to compare right. it to a battle from the old republic, considering that the Clone Wars had been going on for quite some time, I find it highly unlikely that was the first battle that Sacy Ten has seen uh, in the Clone Wars up to this point. Even though we haven't seen him yet, it, it, it did seem just sort of uh, an odd reference. Yeah. Hey, you know what, Jimmy? Before I forget, there were a couple of lines from Tarkin. Or he was trilling those R's, man. Did you did you catch him? The one that really st- bit, sticks out was um, the one about you needn't worry about my career. You needn't worry about my career. You know, I mean, it was it was it was there. It was there. Those R's were trilling. I can't trill my R's real well, but you know, it was uh, it was there with uh, st- with Stephen Stanton. I thought that um, you know the more that we got to hear from that character, just the more he felt uh, like and sounded like like Tarkin um, for me, I thought that it just, it kept, it kept building to the point by the end of this 
whole arc, I thought, oh, that's 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 Tarkin. That's him. Yeah, yeah I, I, agree. I agree. The character definitely grew more and more as we watched and, and became uh, much more consistent with not only the character of Tarkin, but the acting of Peter Cushing. So, uh, yeah, big, big time hats off to Stephen Stanton and uh, Dave Filoni for his uh, quality uh, voice directing. And, uh, you know, again, I, I don't mean to t- totally like take back any sort of criticisms I've made, but uh, that's one that I, I do sort of wish I could have taken back. <laughs> no, there's, I, don't, I don't. I think that it, I think at the time you made it, Jim, I think it was a completely valid observation and that's what we do here i mean that's 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 why we're here but um it's cool that um you know it it worked itself out you know and it really did it worked itself out very very well um so i don't think you have anything to feel to feel bad about i think it was totally fair and and very reasonable at the time um now chris tarkin tarkin Saved by Ahsoka. Now, this—if you watch the Star Wars, the, the commentary on StarWars.com from Dave Filoni—you know this was a last-minute change. He was originally talking mm-hmm. about going out like a punk. He was originally going to shoot Sobek in the back and kill him, and yep. and thus kind of illustrate this kind of brutal, uh, you know, uh, militaristic uh, swing, or you know, that the that the Republic was was going to undergo. But Ahsoka saves Tarkin. So a few things here. Um, one, is that experience of being saved by Ahsoka, this Padawan that he's been kind of belittling, he called her a child earlier, is that enough to change his mind about the Jedi? And of all of the no. people that could have saved him, why do you think Dave chose Ahsoka? Well, I definitely don't think it's enough to change his mind. Um, I mean, obviously, he goes on to be basically third in command. Um but I think maybe this lends back to what you were talking about a little bit ago of a foreshadowing for Ahsoka and her character and what we're going to see out of her at a later point in time. We've seen Asajj Ventress uh, stab somebody through the back. We've seen Anakin do it. And now we've seen Ahsoka do it. Mm. Asajj is a dark side, you know, Sith. Anakin becomes a Sith. Ahsoka, we don't know yet. But I feel like Everything that she's doing now is on purpose. I think Dave is, he's got a plan in his mind here of where they're going with this. And I think we really need to take a a firm look at every little thing that she does, all her actions and her reactions to other things. Uh, But I definitely don't think that was, uh, you know, for nothing. And Tarkin is, you know, Tarkin's going to be Tarkin. Uh, I don't think he cared one way or the other. He just brushed it off. Oh, well, I see you trained her well. You know, carry on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. But Jay, what is gained by Ahsoka being the one to save Tarkin? I mean, and, and what would that do if 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 it turns out that this whole the Nexus routes, if that is the beginning of the end for Ahsoka, and that is what finally uh, you know puts her in the crosshairs of Palpatine. And then mm-hmm. if Tarkin has something to do with that, because he's going to be involved because he's got the other half of this information. I mean, pretty heavy stuff when you when you watch episode four no? Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. And um, w- what I think it, it does. First off, I think it, it, it adds that extra little snub that 
this um, character, this 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 Jedi, this Padawan, this child that um, Tarkin has dismissed for the entire trilogy of episodes here. She's the one that comes and and saves him. I mean, and he, you know, he there was there was no hope for him, right? And then Ahsoka takes out um, Sobek. So, you know, h- how does he feel about that? Well, just you know, given his attitude, I, I would think. He, you know, he doesn't make any recognition of it here, but I'm sure he's tucked that away in his brain, and and he's probably like, mm, you know, I I can't let that stand or something. You know, I'm sure there's something in him that. Oh, you think like a prideful myth. thing, a prideful thing, that he was saved by this yeah. Jedi child, as he refers right, to her. Right. I think there may be. I think there may be some element of that of, of pride that comes into it. So, um, you know, that definitely could. Um, if this if this hyperspace route thing uh, rears up again, you know that could have something to do with it. Um, but the re- you know the reason I think Ahsoka did it, she now felt the burden that Master Peel had, right? So she had now she had the half because uh, at this point he'd already died. Mm-hmm. Um, she had that other half of the trade routes. So you know it, she felt mm. that it was her mission to carry on. And protect oh, that's um, a great Tarkin, thought. regardless right. of what personally she felt. Right, right. Which kind of leads you to wonder: had the, had things not occurred the way they did, you know, yeah. w- you know, would would she have jumped to save Tarkin? Um, oh, that, well, that, I don't that's think cool. So know, she any, was saving like the other half of. Yeah, four. she was saving the mission. She wasn't saving Tarkin. She was saving the mission. Right. Right. And anyone who's seen episode four, you know, is aware that, um, you know, Tarkin wouldn't die here. But, I mean, there is that part where it's like, well, you know, how is this going to resolve? Because, you know, you hadn't seen Ahsoka there and all of a sudden out of nowhere she comes and this lightsaber erupts through Sobek's chest. So, um, and and the fact that she'd seen her, I I, want to, yeah, she saw her master do it in the in the Mandalore uh, trilogy. Which is where you know obviously she picked it up as Dave mentions in the um, in the commentary for this uh, for this episode. So uh, I think it's great that we're getting to see that she's really taking everything that Anakin does. I think it goes also back to the first part of the the trilogy where Obi Wan chides Anakin that uh, Ahsoka is now or, or or what is it Anakin's teaching is are now do as I say not do as I do right um, when. When he ignores, you know, her to stay back and she comes in the in the carbonite and everything like that. She's yeah. really watching him and she's picking up on everything that he does mm. for good or for bad. Yeah. And and she's you know, using his example as ways to justify her decisions. Well, you would have done it this way or, you know, right. Master Skywalker. And not in the way yeah. that he intends it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because he does whatever fits the occasion. Um great great observations, Jay. All of those really really good. Jimmy, 3 weeks ago, when we sat here talking about the opener of this of this trilogy, we talked about we speculated as to what happened in that off-screen conversation between Ahsoka and Master Plo, and how she ended up, you know, in Carbonite and on the mission. And you know, as if he was listening to the roundtable, Anakin Skywalker asks Plo Koon in this episode, "Did you assign Ahsoka to this mission?" To which Plo says, "It appears that I did." And so yeah. I'm going to ask you, what, what, what do you make of that? And does that change what you think was, was said during this off-screen conversation that we, we talked about three weeks ago? All right, there's a couple ways of looking at this. 
you can interpret Plo Koon's answer to Anakin as a he was helping Ahsoka cover her butt, you know. Okay. Saying, well, right. yes, you know, just just to say that to you know help her cover her butt, but I think it's more than that. I think what Plo Koon did was talk to Ahsoka and let her make up her own mind and let the force guide her. Was Ahsoka Tano supposed to be on this mission Mm. according to the will of the force? That's what I believe happened here was Plo Koon opened up Ahsoka's mind to the will of the force and let her determine what she should do based on the will of the force. And there are so many indications in this trilogy that let you know she was meant to be on this mission. Everything from guiding the the troopers and Tarkin through the uh, underground caverns of the planet to accepting, as Jay, I, I like how Jay put it, accepting the burden of knowing the information getting that information from a dying even peel. Even at that point, Ahsoka was starting to protest saying, well, I'm not really supposed to be on this mission, but something in the force was also telling even peel that he can trust her with this information because it's the will of the force that she's on this mission. And for her to assume this information and assume the burden, also another sort of connection to Lord of the Rings with, taking the burden, taking the ring, um, mm-hmm. it, it sort of you know tells you that the force is what was guiding her decision. So when Plo Koon says, in response to Anakin, did you assign Ahsoka to this mission? And Plo says, it appears I did. That's not Plo's call to make. It's the will of the force that guided Ahsoka to what her destiny was as far as the story arc goes. That's how I interpret it. Again, you could take, you know, you know, a lot of little kids will be watching this episode and say, wow, Plo Koon is such a good friend to Ahsoka. He really protected her there and helped her cover her butt. And, you know, that's a, that's a simple way of looking at it, but I look at it much deeper, you know, knowing what I know of the mythology of the force and how the Jedi should respond to it. Yeah, I you know I hadn't looked at I hadn't looked at it in those two particular ways. Um, I guess I kind of assumed that Ahsoka would have gone to Plo Koon. He would have given her some sort of cryptic answer, you know, some sort of a non-answer answer, and then you know to to guide her in the direction of not choosing one way or the other, but to guide her in the direction of trusting in in the Force. There, and I think it kind of brings up this whole notion of the living Force, that kind of thing. Um, which we you know we heard a lot from Qui Gon Jinn, and there's an element of Plo Koon that harkens back to sort of the 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 he's not the uh, the Mace Windu kind of Jedi. He's not all bogged down by rules, and he seems a little more I don't know, Chris, like more human, more approachable, more uh, down to earth. Well, I mean, this is really. The Clone Wars is really where we're first seeing him, and uh, I don't know. He he almost seems like a father figure to many people uh, in the Clone Wars. I feel like his conversation with Ahsoka went more like, 
you must do what you you know you must do what you feel is is right of course uh-huh. uh, just like yeah. Ben says to Luke and she takes it and kind of runs with it right um at the same time i he has that hesitation like whatever i say is either going to get her in trouble or not and i think he makes a decision and Ahsoka's surprised by it. He puts his arm around her as a father figure, and then they walk away. Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin are left kind of, well, <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to argue with Plo Koon? He's like the father figure around here. So, Right. Um, I don't. Uh, it, that's, I think we need to see more of Plo Koon, maybe, um, to really gauge his character as far as what, what, what kind of character he's going to be, uh, what kind of role he's going to play further out but for for now i feel like he's kind of looked at as this older wiser uh, you know jedi more so than not 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 above yoda you know but something something just under yoda well he well, just he, he, he really is a father figure to ahsoka because he trained her for a while as well so she, right. there's that yeah. initial connection between the two of them that the way anakin and obi-wan are for a very long time as well yep I want to. I you know the only really way to kind of introduce this is to is to actually play it, but I just want to listen to the last couple of minutes of this episode because there's a lot that's that's laid down here to discuss. Sacrifice. We now have the Nexus route coordinates. Captain Tarkin and Ahsoka have each memorized half. Debrief them both. We must. With all due respect, Master Jedi. I was instructed by Chancellor Palpatine to bring the intel directly to him for debriefing. I promised Master Peel that I would deliver it only to the Council. And that's what I will do. Hmm. Personally meet with the Chancellor, I will. Decide what is best to do. We shall. Master Plo, there's something we want to ask you. Did you assign Ahsoka to the mission? It appears I did. A job well done, General Skywalker. I wish more Jedi had your military sensibilities. Perhaps I can inform the Chancellor of your valor. I'm not sure what to think of your new ally. Well, I think we need people like him. This is a war. If we aren't willing to do what it takes to win, we risk losing everything we try to protect. Unfortunately, war tends to distort our point of view. If we sacrifice our code, even for victory, we may lose that which is most important. Our honor. So, a lot of stuff there. I mean, obviously, we talked about the, um, the stuff about, uh, with, with Plo Koon and Ahsoka and all of that. But I'm more interested in, in the end there, where it leaves us. And I was kind of disappointed that we haven't had any sort of indication yet that they're going to pick up this plot in the, in, the, in the next episode. And maybe they will. But we're left kind of in the lurch with what's going to happen between um, the Chancellor's Office and the Jedi Council and how they're going to uh, uh, negotiate this 
you know, the d- divulgence of the these coordinates for these for these Nexus routes. Seems like they're going to be in a stalemate here. They're sending in the big guns. They're sending in Yoda. So Yoda's going to have some FaceTime with with Palpatine. Well, maybe. Yeah. Go ahead, Jay. Maybe the way it's going to work, Jason. Yeah. Maybe the way it's going to work is, uh, you know, there'll be all the important stuff will happen and we won't see it. And it'll just be in that little opening, you know, narration. And, you know, when trying out right. one of the <laughs> hyperspace nexus routes, Jedi Padawan Ahsoka was lost. You oh, know, oh yeah, right. Uh, That'll be it. Yeah, right. It, it's all going to be in one of those uh, one of the newsreels. Ahsoka Tano dead. Tom Kane will get all the credit. Right. Exactly. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but uh, no. I mean, I want to. I want to see this. I want to see Jimmy Mac. I want to see this meeting with Yoda and Palpatine. This is good stuff. I want to see this uh, get resolved one way or the other. Yeah, unfortunately, as, as I said before, in the true nature of the MacGuffin, I believe a lot of this is going to be left open to interpretation, and um, and, uh, and that'll be that. Yeah, and, and if we do hear reference to these Nexus trade routes again, it'll, like you said, it'll probably be something that's uh, just a, a throwaway line in an opening narration. Uh, I could be wrong. I, you know, I mean, like you, I, I'd like to see. Uh, continuation of this thing but i i think it's it was yeah but i mean disposable. this is but it's, I, I i see i don't see it that way and if it is if they do treat it as a disposable plot device i think that's unfortunate because you have right now you have a a um concrete example of the growing distrust between the jedi and the military a seed has been planted here and i think that it's a great opportunity to to you know watch this unfold and this would be the beginning of i think something important a a a tide shift and tarkin coming into this particular uh into the series at this particular moment uh you know i feel like it's a it's a great opportunity it's a great opportunity i don't think palpatine i don't think palpatine is necessarily the source of the distrust here keep in mind who did who told ahsoka only to share it with the jedi council that was uh, Master Peel. It was his dying wish. And I believe the distrust doesn't become, it's not between the Jedi Council and the Chancellor's Office at this point in the history of the Clone Wars. The distrust comes between Master Peel and Captain Tarkin. I think that the reason he said only share it with the council is in fears that she would share this information with Tarkin. Then Tarkin will have consolidated this information all together and have a, you know, an upper hand, a level of power. And even Peel felt distrust in Tarkin and did not want to see that happen. So that's how I sort of interpreted it. I didn't take it the, the next step further to sow distrust between the council and the chancellor's office, because obviously the first thing Yoda says is he's going to go talk to the chancellor. Yeah. He's going to wonder why does this politician why does he need this information? It's not, it's not up for him to have this information. It's a military issue. The Jedi are running the war. They're the generals in the war. They're calling the shots. They're calling the strategy. Uh, there's no reason, there's no justifiable reason for Palpatine to, to know those specific plans. Mm-hmm. I would think they'd be I, very suspicious of that. Did Tarkin say, now I know we just heard the audio, but did Tarkin say... I was given specific. Uh, he says r- right there, yes, only yes, only with the chancellor. Yeah, well, yeah, 
Yeah, that's uh, again, you know. And where do you think he got that from? He didn't get that from uh, even Peel. He got that from Palpatine himself. We know that there's a a relationship there. Um, so you know, BFFs, right? BFFs. All right. So now at the end, okay, we've got we've got this triangle here, Jay of uh, Tarkin, Obi Wan, and Anakin, and. at this point, I think it's probably safe to assume that, you know, Obi-Wan, and I think he, he mentions it in episode two, isn't all that excited about Anakin being close to, to, uh, to Palpatine. And now yeah. we see another relationship forming with him and a, a more extreme, extremist uh, faction of the, uh, of, of, of the military with Tarkin. So. Right. What uh, what's kind of going through Obi Wan's head as he, as he see sees the kinds of friends that Anakin just seems to be making? I wonder if he thinks it's another pathetic life form. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's he. I, I'm sure he's thinking um, that Anakin is. I, I don't want to say misguided because. It, Obi-Wan seems to have a level of hubris about his training of Anakin that he can't see where he's failed Anakin until it's too late, until episode three. But again, those seeds have been planted and are, we're, we're seeing them along here in, in the way that, you know, it's, it's Obi-Wan's training that, and, and instead, of, instead of the way that Anakin and Ahsoka mirror each other with their actions... Uh, where she follows exactly what Anakin's doing. Anakin is actually a reflection of Obi-Wan and doing things, um, you know, n- not necessarily the opposite, but but differently and sometimes more extreme than Obi-Wan would take it. So where Obi-Wan has a distrust of politics, or uh, what what is it? It's, um, you know, he talks about uh, politicians and stuff like that. Anakin doesn't right. have any trust to them, but... Obi-Wan knows their role. He's very skeptical. The... Obi-Wan's very skeptical of politicians. Right. He's right. been burned by that, by that babe on uh, Mandalore. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And uh, so, um, but, but Anakin then, you know, has these, has these moments where, um, you know, he is becoming friends with the Chancellor. Well, you know, that's not, Obi-Wan doesn't like that. Um, I could see that you know, this kind of uh, relationship with Tarkin is just more of the same. And I don't see Obi-Wan putting any of these pieces together. You know, he's just, it seems like he's taking it in, but we're not, we're not seeing the processing of that. And it, and he doesn't seem to process any of that until it's too late. Uh, Again, episode three, where it all kind of falls apart very, and very rapidly too. You know, Chris, I used to hear this when I was a kid in school. I think my grandmother used to say, you know, Show me your friends, and I'll tell you who you are. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I, I, birds of a feather here a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I don't know. I I found the banter between Anakin and Tarkin to be kind of funny, um, given what we know about these characters. You know, a lot of in Star Wars we have, you know, we have a foreshadowing of, we've already got the movies, we've got all these novels, so we know how things turn out between Anakin and Tarkin. This is the beginning. This is the part we, we didn't know before, how mm. they met and how they kind of became uh, who they were in, in, you know, under the Emperor. And 
I feel like, I, I don't know, at first they were very standoffish. They were almost battling for favor without the emperor even present. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But as time went on, I think they started kind of forming their own little alliance, like their own little club, you know? Yes, and I, that's I could right. see Obi-Wan, uh, I could see him getting worrisome about this all the way through the episode. Yeah. You know, when they were walking along and Ahsoka said, that's ridiculous, you know, Jedi not being involved in the war. And Obi-Wan, you know, tells Anakin what he thinks of that. Um, it's a dangerous thing. And Obi-Wan knows that. He gets it. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen yet, but he knows something's up. And I think uh, Evan Peel also knew something was up with Tarkin. And that's, again, why he did not uh, give both roots, you know, both halves to him. Kept them separate. interesting that both Chris and Jimmy Mack see this more as a as representative of even Peel's distrust of Tarkin as opposed to the Jedi Council's distrust of the Chancellor's office. Very interesting. Good times, guys. Always great to discuss the Clone Wars with our Jedi Journals team and Jay brought brought some EU with him. We appreciate it. We appreciate the perspective, and we love all Star Wars fans, even those who read Coruscant Nights. (laughs) Anyway, great to be with you all. Final thoughts, Jovial J? Well, um, I think that the uh, whole, uh, quote, mess with uh, Even Peel and the continuity is going to be... cleared up in Coruscant Nights 4, The Last Jedi, which is going to be coming out uh, <laughs> next year, uh, also written by Michael Reeves and uh, Maya Catherine Bonhoff. So uh, I think uh, they'll, they'll figure out a way to retcon it and they'll stick it in there and, and make it stick. Oh, I hope so. I'm on pins and needles. <laughs> no, you d- no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, final thoughts. What? I had a lot of fun with this episode and the story arc. It definitely wasn't my favorite uh, of the season, but visually it was fantastic. It had some really good music, sound effects. We heard a Wilhelm scream. Um, as a general rule, I like to see a little, uh, as little G-level canon as possible contradicting anything that's already in print. However, you aren't going to hear me whining about Dave and gang ruining Star Wars if that happens on occasion. Uh, we are getting new Star Wars every single week, and it's entertaining. So if George decides he wants to kill Ahsoka off and shoot some new scenes for Revenge of the Sith with Qui-Gon Jinn and include her as a Force ghost for the upcoming Blu-ray release, let's see it. This is his creation, and we're just along for the ride. So, Jimmy Mack, 20 episodes in on Season 3. You've been with me on every one of these. We're winding down here in Season 3. Final thoughts on Citadel Rescue. Wow, hard to believe that we're coming to the end of season three. It seems like just a few weeks ago we were sitting out in Orlando uh, eagerly awaiting the start of season three. But here are my final thoughts on Citadel Rescue. This was my favorite episode of the three-part Citadel story arc because in its conclusion it revealed the consequences of war. Not only with the death of Master Peel, but with the death of Osi Sobek. 
which I predicted the death of Solbeck, but I didn't predict the death of even Peel. His death came quickly and violently. I felt his death had meaning and showed the strength of the show's creators to kill off a Jedi in such a fashion. It only amplifies the reality of the violent nature of war, and it shows that the Jedi are not invincible. However, I was not necessarily surprised by his death due to the fact that he wasn't president on the Jedi Council in Revenge of the Sith. So I guess Anakin had to replace someone, right? As for Sobek, I felt his character was totally disposable, a fill-in for Grievous who was rather one-dimensional in nature, and this is absolutely no knock on the brilliant acting of James Arnold Taylor or the animation crew who gave Sobek such memorable traits like his nervous eye twitch. I just felt he was a one-trick pony and a character who could have easily been replaced by Grievous without anyone knowing the difference, except for the fact he got killed off at the end. Uh, as for the relationship between Anakin and Tarkin, I believe it's more representative of the fact that Anakin is Darth Vader respects Tarkin, and we've always wondered why. Where does that respect come from? Well, we see the seeds of that respect being planted here in these episodes. Um, I don't think it necessarily represents why Tarkin works well with Vader, because I still, to this point, don't believe that Tarkin knows Vader really is Anakin Skywalker. We've received a lot of emails disputing that, but that's what I stand by, and that's what I believe. As for the EU continuity implications due to the death of Master Peel, they don't really have much of an impact on myself, and I'm surprised to hear about the shockwaves rocking the EU community over this change. I didn't even think so many people even read the Coruscant Nights to begin with. But there is a minority of hardcore fans that feel these stories are very important to the overall Star Wars saga, and I believe them to be a very small minority. All in all, I think we as fans will learn to accept Peel's death in this episode to be his true end. And I also believe that this is the not the last time that we will see such a contradiction between the Clone Wars and the EU novels. Nuke on Ray not in this episode. All right, one more Clone Wars roundtable to go. We'll be back next time. In a couple of weeks, the big two-part finale featuring classic trilogy character Chewbacca. Can't wait for it. We'll break it all down for you, as we always do, right here on the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. For Chris Wyman, Jovial J. Shepard, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you, always. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Force.net LLC unless otherwise indicated.
This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.